I'm Peter, the insecure, guitar-playing, pizza-eating, football-watching older brother. And I'm Jason, the younger, iguana-throwing, World of Warcraft-playing, computer-hacking, younger brother, player two. And welcome to Player One Bias. So in case you couldn't tell from that intro, in today's episode, we'll be talking about Foxtrot, the comic that was written by Bill Mind. Uh, I know this played a pretty large part um, in, in my childhood, and, and definitely yours too, I think. We had a couple Certainly. of their books, loved loved reading their comics in the Sunday papers. You know, it was always a, a fun connection to, to pop culture and kind of what was going on in the day. Yeah, I was a big fan of the comic. Read it a lot growing up. It was pretty sad when it went to a weekly strip. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Only being able to to get it in the Sundays was, was kind of sad at, at a certain point. So we'll start it off with Bill Mind. Uh, so he was born in September of 1962 in Massachusetts. He shortly moved uh, to California right after he was born pretty much uh, and, and was raised for most of his life in Northern California, uh, specifically Burlingame, California. So he started cartooning really early on in his life, uh, specifically in his high school newspaper. Um, but it, it was only run for one day before he was fired. And this was mainly due to the content. Um, so the, the strip was intended to be about a dog uh, that would die brutally in every strip uh, and then come back to life for a new story in which he would then die again. Yeah, this is a pretty wild concept and pre pretty edgy for a high school newspaper, I would say. Absolutely. Um, and uh, pretty different from what the content of Foxtrot looks like. Yeah, so, completely, uh, completely different concept for sure. But if you think about it, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but if, uh, the Suicide Bunny, have you seen those comics? No, I'm not familiar with that at all. Oh, okay, so like this concept totally exists. I, I, I don't think the, the dog was meant to be, you know, suicidal. Um, but in high school, maybe even a little bit like late middle school, there was a popular comic that was called Suicide Bunny, and in every strip, uh, he would find like super inventive ways to commit suicide. So, I mean, that's pretty dark, but you know, there can be dark humor, I guess. Um, and, and I was gonna say, like, I guess this strip idea would probably do pretty well as like a web comic. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah even absolutely. today. But you know, people people love dogs. Dogs are cute. So uh, yeah. a strip about a dog dying is maybe not the best way to launch your career. Right, especially you know mid nineteen seventies. Yeah, I don't think that was the quite the way to go. So Bill Mint, uh during his high school period, while he was failing with this comic strip, was also an Eagle Scout. Uh, and now you know that's kind of a, a nerdy uh, kind of you know fringe thing to do being cub scouts and being eagle scout but back then it was a little bit different um you know our dad was an eagle scout and like it was a little bit more uh intense uh you know there was some serious like outdoor stuff just kind of like fasting or only being able to eat what you caught or killed or whatever you know it was uh it was definitely a little bit more intense back then and i think part of that just came with letting kids have more freedom oh, like kids are gonna do crazy stuff if you let them uh, and so they were much less supervised back then, and um, the results were pretty wild, yeah, as you would expect. Definitely the case, yeah. Uh, so after high school, uh, Bill Min attended Amherst College, and he ended up graduating in 1984 with a degree in physics. So definitely still a nerd, still kind of fit in that stereotype, but uh, uh, I mean... Not not quite the career and not quite the path that you would expect for a cartoonist at this point. Uh, but after he graduates, he moves back home to California to try cartooning. Uh, he kind of decided that uh, all the job opportunities and positions that he was seeing and what his friends were doing, it, it wasn't for him at that point in time, and he wanted to follow passion. So he moved back home and lived with his parents. Um, so immediately after college, he spent a very, very short time in the animation business. Uh, and then he started working on pitches for comic strips. Um, so he, he wrote two original strips. One was Foxtrot, uh, and the other was a jungle animal-themed strip called Bango's Ridge. And can I just say, thank goodness Foxtrot was the one that became more successful out of those two. 
Yeah, I can't. I, I haven't I can't. read Bingo's Ridge, but um, it doesn't sound as appealing to me, honestly. Definitely not. I can't imagine like a Jungle Book themed comic. I mean, yeah, like I guess if he had the talent to make, you know, Foxtrot, like it probably could have been good. But the themes of Foxtrot are pretty important to its yeah, success. Yeah, exactly. It's hard those to themes are not jungle animal. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Hard to fit that into a jungle animal theme strip. Uh, sure. Very interesting. So while he was doing this pitching, he, he mainly received uh, criticism saying, it's not bad, but it's not quite what we want. So he wasn't getting hard no's. He wasn't just straight getting rejected. So that was kind of keeping him going. He, he, he stayed committed to cartooning. He wanted to keep going uh, and really try his luck and get, get one of these strips published. Um, which, it, it actually took three years. So kind of a long time to keep going, but uh, I guess uh, the feedback he was receiving was not strong enough for him to stop. So after three years of submitting strips, he finally signed on with Universal Press Syndicate. Uh, which is really like the main group that syndicates comic strips and gets you into newspapers, which allows you to make money. You know, getting syndicated is is the real goal uh, for a cartoonist. So Foxtrot first appeared on April 10th in 1988. Uh, so a long time ago. The fact that it's still yeah. running is pretty awesome. Um, and then in 1999, uh, so um, I guess 11 years after... Uh, Foxtrot first appeared. Amherst uh, awarded him an honorary degree as a doctor of humane letters, uh, which definitely tells you you're doing something right. You're getting an honorary degree from your college. I mean, that's more doctorates than I'll ever have in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I'd rather definitely get the honorary one than have to do the uh, actual one. Sure, yeah, same. So moving into the story. Uh, the strip mainly focuses around the Fox family uh, and their relationships and interactions, uh, hence the name Fox Trot. Um, so they live in suburbia, in the real world. The location is never specifically named, uh, but a man does live in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, and sometimes the characters can be seen wearing like Chiefs shirts or jerseys. Um, and so, so you can imagine he draws some inspiration from where he lives and kind of the environment that he is in. Uh, so as I mentioned, Foxtrot is set in the real world, uh, which allows Amin to address pop culture and current events. This is pretty unique uh, for common strips. While there are a few others that are you know, technically or almost theoretically based in the real world, they don't address as much uh, pop culture or, or things that are happening uh, as much as Foxtrot does. Billman really, really hits on uh, things that are currently happening um, at, at, at any given time. Yeah, pop culture and, and popular media is a really big part of the themes of the comic. And this means that you can usually date some of the strips. If you, if you go back and look at old strips, it's, it's kind of an interesting snapshot of what was going on at the time so some of these early comics are, are all about like early computers and, and specifically apple computers i think is what the foxtrot family is partial to uh and so they'll talk about like floppy disks or watching vhs or even the specific movies and stuff that they mention will will date the comic pretty precisely absolutely and and for some older people like us i guess uh uh, it can be pretty cool, you know, going back there and seeing floppy disks and, and jokes about that or, or the, you know, the original releases of Lord of the Rings. Uh, but, but it can definitely alienate some audience or some, you know, some younger people who weren't around or the humor or, or the specific information doesn't really apply to them. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if, like, a 13-year-old now were to go back and read older Foxtrot comics about the release of lord of the rings and like dressing up to go to the the midnight showing like maybe that's not uh as appealing to them but i wonder how many people actually you know go back and read a comic that's like you know 12 15 years old at this point um that is without true. you know like the one exception i think of is like calvin and Hobbes was that old when you and i were really good into it and yeah absolutely. It, and we could kind of enjoy it because maybe it's a timeless it content. is yeah um but i know you know all the all these pop culture references uh were maybe what made me connect with foxtrot a little more so I, it'd be I, interesting to see if there's like new fans getting into it 
I absolutely agree with that. Uh, and honestly, I think there are. Uh, he transitioned to a webcomic, which we'll get to here in a bit. But um, I, he, he's really kind of revitalized it, kept it going a little bit. Um, and so there is a newer audience. Uh, and that that's definitely something he has mentioned. You know, I, I know, like, our, our dad has talked about how, like, some of the younger kids that he works with um, don't don't know what the save button, that that's a floppy disk. They don't know what that is. Sure. They don't know the meaning behind that. Um, so, I you know, I, I, I think it does affect it a little bit. Um, definitely nostalgic uh, for someone like me, though. Sure. And then, in a way, it almost makes uh, the stuff he's currently writing still relevant or more appealing to you know a younger audience um if he's making jokes about Fortnite or whatever absolutely right that's that's stuff that you know a younger crowd could uh identify with as well right 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 right. so your new stuff is always going to be relevant in that sense so uh between 1991 and 1994 he's kind of figuring out his art style and so the strip undergoes some changes and the content and the way he's drawing the characters and eventually settles on a style that matches what the strip is today. I don't so know if you've read a... some of those early comics, but they definitely they definitely look different. Um, they do. Yeah. I think we have... I don't know if we have a book that's an, a collection of the earlier stuff or if I just checked it out from the library at some point. But it is. It's, it's very obvious if you look at it and it's an older strip. Not even just from the content, but from the way it's drawn. And these characters that we're getting ready to talk about, like their personalities aren't quite settled yet. And still pretty good. They definitely but you look can different. see him. That yeah, and you can kind of see him formulating like what's going to be the core of the strip as it ran for like twenty plus years. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, I guess I'll kick things off here. So we, there's a few recurring characters, and most of them are, are family members or uh, close friends of the family. And they all sort of fall into tropes. They're they're very typecast. And so uh, the mom, Andy, is the good-natured mom who's always looking out for her kids but is, is you know, a little worried about uh, what they're getting into, of course. You know, doesn't want there to be, like, too many violent video games and that kind of thing. Uh, she's also always looking out to make sure she's cooking them nutritious meals, which the kids never enjoy it's always some gross vegan gloop that they're eating uh and among other tropes she's often seen as being kind of frugal and not wanting to turn on the heat and so there's many comic strips joking about uh her kids bundling up in multiple sweaters and, and struggling to stay warm in the winter because she won't turn up the thermostat i know uh i i think we both definitely relate to uh this a little bit our our mom definitely kind of falls into this category uh you know t- whether it's turning down the heat and trying to save money or or the meals that are uh not not always within normal boundaries of normal meals um uh, but i definitely i definitely saw some of some of us in, in that portion of the comic yeah this is uh, i think a lot of people can identify with some of the stereotypical mom roles here of you know make sure you bundle up before you go outside in the cold or make sure you put on sunscreen or like you got to eat your green vegetables and, and trying to sneak like healthy food in that's that's something every kid and their mom like butts heads about yeah uh, so it's a very relatable character yeah for sure so uh we'll move on to the dad now roger uh so he's definitely the goofy clumsy dad trope uh, he doesn't know a lot about technology he loves sport uh golf specifically uh, but he isn't very good at it. He's always messing up and doing stuff way wrong. Uh, he likes to barbecue, but is is awful at it. Uh, I think a comic that really sums it up is he serves. Uh, he, he's making burgers and he serves them, and they can't quite tell if they're the burgers or the charcoal briquettes. Yeah, that's a. I think that's a punchline that's appeared a few times, um, in various forms. And I think, again, you know, this is kind of a, a parent figure that maybe a lot of people relate to. Um, in our case, our dad is actually pretty good at golf and pretty good at barbecue, which is just uh, a huge plus for both of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but I think, you know, sort of what they're getting at with this comic, um, I think this is Bill Amin's outdoorsy nature side, but it's also kind of 
a reflection of how like if you're a dad and you're, you're working full time and and also trying to like be involved with your kids that you don't have time to let practice golf or like perfect your barbecue skills and so these are his interests and he, he just can't be good at it. he's like kind of overwhelmed he still wants to do it but he can't practice it and so it's sort of like this uh this comedic cycle of of uh repeated failures i guess yeah, yeah, I mean, for sure. And that's something that you touched on, too. He, he's an outdoorsy guy. He likes camping. He likes taking those trips that I'm sure uh, either went really well for most people or went pretty poorly with their dads, you know, whichever whichever side their dad happened to be on. Yeah, depending on how, how much of a uh, prepared Eagle Scout your dad is. Absolutely. Uh, so our, our next character here uh, is Peter, who is 16 uh, perpetually in the comic. And he's the oldest son. He's the older brother. He's really into sports, but he's kind of like this skinny kid. So he's not super good at football or anything. And he's always talking about like bulking up for football season or for tryouts. Um, likewise, he's also pretty knowledgeable and he knows all the kids in high school and all the scenes, but he's not cool or accepted. So this is, again, something that your comic reader, uh, excuse me, your comic reader can relate to as someone who feels like they're you know they're kind of on the outside of their friend group or they're not quite in the in crowd but they know everything that's going on absolutely he was also he's kind of that almost like edgy cool kid you know he played guitar he was always eating pizza he was like he, he he was cool but not not quite cool he wasn't too popular so people couldn't connect with him and wouldn't like him but he was just cool enough and just did the right things to make him like a really likable character. Yeah, it's like, you know, everyone, everyone, I think if you asked anyone about their high school experience, no one would say, oh, I was like the cool kid, you know? And then no one would say like, oh, I was the loser that got picked on. They would always say like, I had a good time and, you know, I knew everybody and uh, I was kind of in the middle. And I think that basically sums up Peter. Yeah, that, that pretty definitely well. fits pretty much what Peter is. So we'll move on to Paige. Uh, so she was 14. She absolutely fit the typical uh, teenage girl trope. Um, you know, she was listening to Backstreet Boys or, you know, as the times changed, you know, uh, Justin Bieber or, or whatever. She was dealing with, you know, acne or skin problems or not being liked at school. Um, and she was she was a main main foil uh, for our next character, and I I really think that's the the major role that she filled. Yeah, I that's exactly true. I think uh, it's interesting because I would say this is the one character. Um, well, you know, you and I don't have a, a sister, right? Right. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's what I'm missing here. But I feel like this is the one character that you don't relate to if you're reading it. No one is like, oh yeah, like I feel like Paige a lot. Um, or like, oh yeah, like I get I, that's an issue I deal with all the time. She's almost entirely there, kind of as like a joke about how um, you know some of the the things teen girls worry about or are interested in, or uh, you know how sisters can be kind of like a hassle if you're you know like a younger brother growing up. Um, and she has some moments where she's like a really good sister and family member or whatever. But I never felt like I was like oh yeah like that man that uh that comic really hit home with uh pages whatever was going on yeah i i definitely agree with that and like you said that could be because you know we don't have a sister or we, we don't quite have that perspective um but but from how i see it that that was i think kind of how amend wrote her um she, she was a really good foil for for jason and peter to be able to play off of um yep and, and she filled that role of uh from his writing perspective, oh, if you had a sister, this is what you dealt with. I don't think it was as much of uh, the, the focus that Jason or Peter got all the time. Right, and I think it it she enabled the men to make fun of certain parts of pop culture that a nerdy preteen boy or like a high school wannabe jock wouldn't be interested in. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely able to hit a, a wider range there. So uh, I guess we might as well just roll right into the next character here. Uh, with the youngest kid, Jason. So he's 10 years old in the comic, uh, and he's very smart, very nerdy, uh, gets really good grades, easily interested in NASA and comic books and video games. Um, kind of, as, as you do with a lot of 
fantasy writing and comic books and that kind of thing. He's portrayed as being way more mature than an actual age of 10. Um, and he's sort of, if, if Peter or Roger are like the sportsy, outdoorsy side of Bill and Min's personality, then Jason is the nerdy physics side of his personality. So Jason's really good at math and, and science, and he's really into all the geeky stuff like Lord of the Rings and Dungeons and & Dragons. And I, they call it World of Warcraft in the comic, but it's essentially World of Warcraft, right? Um, and this is these are all the things Jason's into. And I yeah, would... it, this is a, a major outlet for a man who, uh, definitely a self-attributed nerd, gets to throw out all all of his pop culture nerdiness that that he definitely you know experiences and does in real life. And I would go as far to say as Jason is maybe the subject of the most comics. Um, he kind of bounces around between all the different characters, but most often Jason is involved in some manner. I definitely agree with that. And and I think uh, the younger Bill Amend was, earlier it was in his career, uh, he, he definitely uh, hit on Jason more. He, he, he used him to describe kind of his nerdiness and his life uh, as he was experiencing it as it was, which, which definitely... As, as you talked about, made Jason a lot more mature than the 10-year-old that he is in the comic. Certainly. So uh, we're going to start getting into a little bit more of the secondary characters outside of the main family. Uh, so we've hit, on, we've hit on the main five there. Uh, so we'll start out with Jason's best friend, Marcus. Um, Marcus is really uh, one of the first ethnic characters you see. Uh, they don't, you know go into anything other than the fact that he isn't white, uh, which I think was a cool little bit of diversity to throw in there, especially from a, you know, a, a Midwest white dude. Uh, sure. And they so, didn't make a big deal about it. It's no. like not discussed really, but it just exists. Yeah. Yeah. Which best way to do it. Um, so Marcus is Jason's best friend and he is also a huge nerd. So in everything that Jason does, uh, Marcus is usually there helping him out, annoying Paige, uh, you know, making something weird, going to midnight releases, freaking out over video games or comic books. Jason or Marcus is usually there with him. Yeah, anytime you know Jason needs to have a discussion about something nerdy, like Marcus is the character. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, another nerd to play off of, which I think lends it a, a little bit more to, you know, the amend nerdiness as well. Sure. Uh, so another uh, kind of relevant supporting character is Eileen Jacobson. So this is uh, Jason and Marcus's classmate. Uh, she's also portrayed somewhat as a nerd in terms of she's a very smart person, gets very good grades. And so there's kind of this, uh, you know, young child love interest where, you know, they hint it. Jason and Eileen kind of being kind of liking each other, but they're kids, so liking girls or guys is gross, so they are more competitive and mean to each other than anything else. So this is, you know, Jason's always trying... The reason he actually would ever study would be to try to beat Eileen, like, get a higher grade, or um, there's a few, like, Valentine's Day comics or whatever where there's, like, that awkward... Ooh, like you're gross, but then like you make them a Valentine's Day card anyway somehow, but like it's only got insults on it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You say Eileen. I have always yeah. said Eileen. Nah, dude, it's E I L E. Yeah, you're probably right, but you know my history of reading words and never hearing them and saying them wrong. It's it's, sure. it's weird, man. Weird, uh, weird to hear that. Well, so, I mean, I guess, you know, I don't know this for 100%. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah, but yeah. I'm putting money down. It's Eileen. You don't put that I in there unless I think you're, right. you're trying to get a weird... That's, and that's a nerdy name, right? Oh, yeah. That's... I think you're right. But, you know, it's still still Eileen in my head. Yeah. So, uh, Amend also kind of plays off of, the, like, the differing nerdiness. So, like, there's a there's this set of strips where one of the Harry Potter movies is coming out, and... And Aline is, like, talking about it in school and saying it's better than Lord of the Rings. So Jason comes to school wearing a Gandalf hat, and she's like, oh, nice Dumbledore hat. Ah, uh, that's right. And and so they kind of play off of that, and then Jason ends up seeing all the movies, and Aline calls his house asking where he is, 
and Jason's mom says, oh, he's out seeing uh, uh, that, that new fantasy movie that's coming out. So there's, you know, a little bit of that, like, girl sure. gross, but still, you know. Well, well it, it kind of uh, lets him talk about the debate where, you know, like the Star Wars versus Star Trek, or anytime there's there's exactly. fantasy groups that are like, Ugh, like, you know, that one's like, you know, not well written, or like, that's for kids, or like, that's for, you know, that's like the easy mode, or whatever. They could have that debate, uh, and then in the end, like he kind of admits, like the comic example you were talking about, where Jason still goes and sees Harry Potter and is really into it. But yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So uh, we'll move on to another Jason supporting character. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and this is Quincy, his iguana. Um, so Quincy, he, he he doesn't really look like an iguana. I gotta say, he looks like a weird little chubby dragon thing. Um, but he's, he's pretty mainly, cute. Oh, I, yeah, definitely for sure. Uh, he, he's mainly used uh, to annoy Paige or or kind of accentuate some sort of nerdy happenings that are going on, whether that's Jason pretending he's Godzilla or, or, or you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, and this character was actually named after Bill Amin's hamster uh, when he was a kid. Yeah, Quincy is sort of what you imagine having a pet to be like when you're a kid. That's a really good way uh, to describe it, yeah. Yeah, like, he's got all... It's only, like, positive interactions, and he's got all these... He, he's just got all these really cool moments, and he's always friendly and, like, always entertaining, and... He's always barfing on Paige's bed. Yeah, yeah, deliberately. Like, this right. is something Jason <laughs> is, like, encouraging him to do. Yeah. Um. So it's it's sort of like... You know, he's always your friend, and you can interact with him, like, sort of on this higher level, like you could with a human being. Absolutely. Uh, that you imagine having a pet is like. Um, and then yeah. maybe you, you have a pet fish or hamster or whatever as a kid, and you realize it's not actually that exciting. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember one strip where, like, Quincy gets uh, Paige's toothbrush, and the dad walks in and it's like, uh, Jason's sterilizing the toothbrush in boiling water, uh, and the, yeah, the the dad Rogers like, oh wow, that's so thoughtful of you, you know, that you're sterilizing the toothbrush after Quincy got it, so Paige doesn't have to deal with it. Oh, and I then remember he, this. He comic. goes and gives it to Quincy, and he's like, oh, there you go. Wouldn't want you catching anything gross from Paige. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's a big part of all those annoying page strips. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, our next character is Nicole. And there's not much to say about her other than she's Paige's best friend. So, so much like Marcus is there anytime uh, Amanda wants Jason to have a discussion about some sort of nerd topic. Nicole is there anytime he wants Paige to have a discussion about a teenage girl topic. Yeah, and I, I think she provides a little bit of the, the, the voice of reason as well. Uh, I think it tones down some of the teenage girliness just a little bit uh, and, and kind of provides uh, a different perspective and, and a little bit of a change there. Sure. So another page supporting character here is uh, Morton Goldthwaite. Uh, and he's, he's not a very consistent character, uh, but he is in there enough, I guess, that we'll mention him here on this list. Um, so he is kind of like the Jason that is Paige's age, super nerdy, kind of weird guy that has a crush on Paige, uh, and let's, let's bit Bill Mend hit on a little bit more of that teenage girl trope. And he kind of goes beyond where Jason is a, he just has like nerdy interests, you know, uh, Morton is like extremely antisocial, like he's like incredibly awkward. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Jason is, like, a pretty smart guy, and he just has, like, you know, w weird interests. Morton is, like, someone you're uncomfortable talking to and being around. Exactly, yeah. Uh, another character we've got is Denise. Uh, and this is, I want to say, off and on, uh, she's Peter's blind girlfriend. There's, you know, a huge, there'll be a huge portion of strips where, like, she's not even mentioned. Right, um, right. I would say she's she's fairly consistent in there, um, okay. and I, I think, or you know, from my perspective, right? It's ha how many of all the strips have we read, and you know, whatever. But, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think she's in there a fair amount, um, and I mean, this is another kind of like 
uh, Amend is including a more diverse group. Uh, you know, this is in, in comics, like, you know, the first person I saw with like disabilities, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't normal adding someone blind as like a, a main supporting character, you know, I so I, I thought it was pretty cool that he added that and, and was allowed or, you know, a, able to, with that traverse some of the things that come with being blind. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he certainly, maybe he sort of grew into that, like, realized that was something he can do. I, in my mind, and I, and this is obviously, obviously not something I've talked with the author about, I think, uh, the fact that Denise, like, Peter's girlfriend is blind, uh, was a joke, like, at the start. Like, oh, haha, like, this, this guy who's insecure or whatever, like, the only girl who will date him <laughs> is, like, a blind girl. Yeah, I can definitely um, see that, yeah. You know, and so, so like, there's obviously room there to talk about, like, oh, that's, you know, they like each other for their personalities and all this stuff, and it's actually, like, you know, less superficial than a lot of high school relationships. I don't think that was the original intent, like, in 1994 of introducing the character Denise, but maybe that's something he, you know, kind of developed into. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, and then one more Peter supporting character here is Steve, and this is Peter's best friend. And what I remember most about Steve is it's usually a setup for, like, uh, jokes and punchlines that, like, you know, your high school age readers would get. Or people who remember being in high school were like, oh, like, my buddy's got a job at a pizza place. Like, we gotta go visit him and hopefully he can score us free pizza. Yeah. You know, or whatever. Or like, oh, he's got a car. Fun. Like, we're gonna go cruising around in this car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he accentuates some of the more you know, high schooliness of, of Peter, whether that's, you know, getting pizza and, and just playing guitar, scrounging out, you know, whatever it happens to be. Uh, he's definitely, he's definitely, uh, you know, kind of like Nicole with Paige's friend, just that extra, extra little bit thrown in there. Sure. So uh, kind of as we've, we've mentioned and talked about the strip hits on large amounts of family humor, uh, the interplay between all five members of the family and the occasional, you know, supporting member, uh, is really what it hits on the most, uh, while also pulling in lots of like fandom and popular culture references, uh, which really stem from, um, from a mint, uh, you, you get like the Super Bowl with Peter and Roger, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars with Jason, uh, you know, Backstreet Boys, different things like that with Paige, um, computers, phones, you know, whatever it happens to be there. And these references, specifically to the popular nerd culture, were pretty influential to me personally. Um, so we've done our Dungeons and Dragons episode, and actually Foxtrot is sort of the reason that I got interested in D&D in the first place. Uh, this is something that Jason and Marcus play in a lot of comic strips, and in, in the comics, right, they always present it as like, like there's always jokes about D and D or like, you know, characters dying or or whatever, right, or kind of making jokes about the concept of like, oh, like you get the plus two hat of whatever. Uh, but it was enough to like get me interested in like, oh, like what is this game? Like I like some of this other stuff they're talking about, like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Like maybe I should check out this D and D game. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I mean. I, I, I think how Amend wrote Jason and, and kind of how uh, I was able to relate through relate to him through a lot of the stuff that he was experiencing, you know, with his relationship with his mom or whatever, uh, got me interested in the things he was talking about. Um, so specifically, like uh, in the comic, it's World of Warcraft, World of Warquest, uh, but wow, uh, in real life, uh, I remember there's a strip where. Uh, uh, the mom comes in, Andy comes in and says, oh, you know, it's time for bed, Jason. Um, and he's like, oh, uh, just let me do a few more quests. You know, let me keep playing for a little bit. Um, and then, you know, she comes back after he doesn't get off and she's like, oh, it's time to turn off. It's, it's bedtime. Uh, and Jason's like, Jason, who is this Jason you speak of? I am Glog Malblood, level 14 orc shoyman. Now go away, you human, or I'll be forced to wipe the floor with you. <laughs> So, you know, that's kind of stuff that I definitely relate to in my life. Yeah, I remember multiple instances growing up where you would don fictional personalities and, and say you would curse our mother. <laughs> <laughs> you had to go to bed on time. Yeah, I mean, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. With, with D&D, 
you know, I, I like you said, that's kind of how you got into it. Uh, for me, I got into it because of you, you know, so so I guess glad we had Foxtrot there. Uh, Amend is known for being a crazy nerdy guy, like we've talked about before. Uh, he, he does play D&D. Um, in his office, he still has the first edition of D&D, which we talked about came in like a uh, not-so-great cardboard box. Um, he plays StarCraft, uh, and he's a huge fan of World of Warcraft. So he was a, a, an original uh, beta tester for StarCraft. Uh, and if, if you're curious, he does play Protoss. Yeah, that's that's the man's race right there. Yeah, uh, he talked about it a little bit in a couple of interviews, and he's like, oh, uh, you know, it kind of went up and down. Protoss got good and then not good or whatever, but he's always, he's always stuck with it. So um, the comic also features uh, what I guess we can call fourth wall breaking uh, pretty consistently. Uh, you know, whether, whether this is characters addressing the actual text that's appearing in bubbles, uh, you know, like referencing commas or whatever, uh, or talking about, you know, cartoonists and kind of making, making jokes about Bill Amend or other cartoonists. Um, there's also a lot of guest appearances, quote-unquote, um, of famous people like Peter Jackson and Steve Jobs, uh, typically relating along that, that thread of nerdiness and specifically with Jason. Um, so there's a, a specific fourth wall break. You know, I that I that really I guess is a good example of the kind of shenanigans he would get up to. Uh, there was a while where it was it almost it ran for like a whole week. They were talking about something like an ink shortage, uh, and so like he would start by drawing all the comics with like a really thin line instead of a bold line. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. characters are like, oh, like what's going on? Oh, it's the ink shortage, don't you know? And then like, then one of the comics like broke off halfway through, and they didn't have enough ink for bubbles, and then it was like blank. And then it, like, came back, and like, oh, man, like, the ink's back online. Thank goodness, you know? Right. Um, and so, over the course of Foxtrot, you know, the, the 20, 30-year period it's been going right now, uh, none of the characters have aged. He keeps them uh, at those ages that we mentioned earlier, 16, 14, and 10, and then, you know, parents, uh, which, which really allows for the characters to stay uh, with the same dynamic that he originally wrote them as. Uh, and allows them to keep addressing kind of the same groups of issues. And it, in a way, it sort of lets you connect with all the different characters as you sort of experience those different stages. Uh, and, you know, keeps it relevant for new characters. So, like Jason, obviously, anyone who's got an enthusiasm for video games and D&D and playing in snow, like all that kind of kid stuff that, like, you know, you would get excited about as a, as a kid and, and maybe still do as an adult. Is sort of Jason's realm. Yeah, I, I really think that it, it allows you know someone who used to be like that to still connect to that too. It's not it's not keeping it at just that kid level, which making Jason more mature uh, kind of allows you to do is relate to those older people who used to be nerds as well. And it sort of makes you nostalgic for when uh, if you're older now, where you remember being super excited about like a midnight release of a video game, and you're like, "Oh man, I'm gonna stay up all night playing it with yeah. my friends or whatever," even if it's been years since you've been able to do something like that. Absolutely. Uh, and you've, of course, you got Peter. So, so his realm is sort of, uh, he's, you know, he's always into picking up like guitar or rock. So there's multiple strips about him bringing home a different instrument, making a lot of noise, uh, trying to fit into the cool. Cr- cool crowd uh and being worried about grades that's something like you get more and more concerned with as you as you get older i remember specifically like i I probably started reading foxtrot in middle school um where i felt more like jason where it was like oh yeah school's easy right like you just you don't need to study you just get a's yeah yeah for sure all these dum-dums worried about grades and then like you know at some point (laughs) it catches up with you like maybe it's in high school maybe it's in college maybe it's in grad school whatever it is uh, and you're like, oh man, like, did I get a C? Man, I hope I got a C. I yeah, really need a C. For sure. Uh, then you got Roger, so the dad who's who wants to be very outdoorsy and kind of wants to fix everything himself, but he's not very good at it. And as much as he tries to get along with his kids, he's just not capable of understanding their pop culture references or their interests. And 
And as much as I hate to say it, I kind of start to feel oh, uh, some of that as well. Yeah. Um, I don't want to talk about getting old. Yeah, I don't, like I wouldn't consider myself old, but I don't get the appeal of a lot of, you know, streaming. Like that's not something I've ever, I don't watch individual stream. Uh, you and I kind of tried Fortnite when it came out, and like if we weren't playing with friends, like we weren't really into the game, and we haven't played it in probably a year. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it just it never really stuck. And that's this is a massive game, and there's definitely uh, new stuff that's kind of slipping past us as things we don't enjoy or don't quite understand. So starting to relate to it a little bit for sure. Um, and as far as uh, the mom Andy goes, everyone's got an overprotective mom who tries to eat, make you eat your green veggies, right? Or just does uh, things that you don't necessarily want to or agree with, you know? Sure. So, yeah, whether or not you end up being a mother, like, you you probably still experience that. Because that's one thing moms do is they never, uh, yeah, never stop stops. looking. They never stop giving you advice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Uh, and as far as Paige goes, I don't know, you know, we touched on this earlier. I'm not really sure if you ever feel like you connect with Paige personally. Uh, maybe you do. Uh, but it seemed to me mostly she's there to reflect on sort of the material phase of your life when you're growing up. And uh, that's something you can look on and be like, oh, yeah, like that was kind of silly that I was super worried about, you know, my acne or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. She's, for, from from my perspective and my experience, she's definitely a bit more of just, you know, kind of a foil character. So through uh, k- kind of, you know, with Jason... All, all this nerdy stuff that he's had. Some of the cool stuff that Amend was able to throw into the comic uh, was just his knowledge and his background and all this genuine nerdiness that he goes through and experiences. Um, so this allows for a lot of what Jason does to be like super realistic. Um, so like the math and computer code uh, that that's in a lot, a lot of the strips features pretty heavily is all realistic. If you were to try to solve uh, an equation in there, or, or, you know, go through the computer code and see if it compiles or runs. Like, it does. 100%. Like, there's... He, he, a man talks about he'll get letters from people saying, oh, like, the answer to this equation that you gave in there was wrong. And he loves writing back and saying, like, nope, it's not. You solved it wrong. That equation is <laughs> correct. Um, you know, so, so he, he really brings uh, some authenticity uh, to that bit of the comic. Uh, and as he's aged, uh, while he still does identify heavily with Jason and the kids, uh, he's definitely started to kind of fill in that Roger role as he has kids of his own and starts to be able be un, uh, unable to identify with some pop culture. Uh, he, he really starts to see a little bit more of himself in Roger and even Andy a little bit. And I think that's sort of a natural progression. Right, and it's kind of cool that he set up these characters from the very beginning, and that he like he can still write them the same way and just be like, oh yeah, like I, I feel like I'm a mix between these, and maybe that balance has shifted, but it's not like he's had to add a new character or write a new comic strip to talk about the things he's interested in. He managed to kind of capture it all from the beginning. Yeah, it it really it, it's such a you know multidimensional and and, and really flexible comic that allows him to hit so many different topics and with this really good base that he's put in there so uh i thought it'd be a good idea to look at maybe some of like the recurring tropes or jokes uh that you see in foxtrot because one thing you'll notice if you read through a bunch of collections of this strip is there are kind of recurring themes and and setups for jokes that a man likes to go to uh one of which is uh there will be multiple strips where Paige will have a dream about uh, her, her fictional boyfriend or kind of this imaginary crush, Pierre. And he's like a very fancy, like Fabio-looking guy yeah, with Fabio flowing hair sure. and muscular or whatever. Uh, and so in her dream, it's always like some romantic setting, and it usually ends with her going in for a kiss with Pierre. And then she wakes up and realizes she's kissing Quincy in real life. Yeah, yeah, Jason up to more of his shenanigans. Absolutely. Um, you've also got this uh, trope of Peter, the the older high school brother, eating massive amounts of food. A lot of high school age boys can probably relate to that. 
Absolutely. Um, uh, I remember one one little strip where uh, he's like, "Oh, if I don't if I don't get to eat any food, I'm, I'm my whole body is gonna implode." Um, and then in the next next panel, his stomach implodes, and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, just my stomach's going to implode." Right. Uh, you've got, of course, a few a few tropes where Jason is always doing uh, these crazy sled jumps. Uh, anytime it snows, like flying way up into the air, and he, he goes full yard sale, like skis, sled. Excuse me, not skis. <laughs> Sled, boots, gloves, scarf, hat, like just scattered all over the place. Yeah, aside from the a lot of the nerdy stuff that we kind of hit on earlier, uh, he, he, he does all this kind of outdoor stuff with like these inventions, like sending a salt rocket uh, to ask for rain because his mom asked him to water the lawn or, or putting like a, um, a wind sail on top of the grill. Uh, so his dad can't reach it because the heat's making it, you know, fly or whatever. The a- outdoor technology mathy stuff. Yeah, and it's it's sort of like all the kind of crazy ideas you have a kid. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we built like this giant ramp out of snow, or like, yeah, if we jumped off the diving board into the pool, but like with a floaty or like on a, you know, whatever. Right. Exactly. Um, that's Jason's realm, and he does that a lot. Um, we touched on it earlier. Uh, the mom Andy makes frequently makes gross meals and or won't turn up the heat there's a a comic strip where uh jason tells her you know oxygen turns to liquid it it's like negative 257 fahrenheit yeah uh so at that point we won't be able to breathe and she was like okay well you can turn it up to like negative 256 but no more you know yeah exactly she also um she also for for a little a little stretch uh, of strip she's writing a book uh, she has writer's block and is kind of always working on out. Sometimes what's a typewriter, sometimes what's a computer. Uh, uh, sure, as, working, as times change. Yeah, working on a book that she just never really finishes or never really makes progress on. So, you know, I wonder, like, is that, like, something personally that Amend has yeah, uh, that's, that's had? Is point, it, man. like, just referencing know. his... His writer's block, or yeah, I don't know. Does he actually want to write a book? I don't he's know. he's known for submitting his strips super late. Uh, everyone that he's worked with, all of his publishers, the UPS, all that kind of stuff, they always talk about how he would run in to the offices basically on the deadline, super disheveled, like turning in his strip at the last moment. So, so maybe it is a little bit of him. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, there's been strips where you could. Not that they were bad, but you could tell it was like, man, I really need some source material, so like we're gonna take it and run with like some weird thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree like with the that. the ink short ex- example yeah. I gave earlier, like yeah. that wasn't connected to any real world event. That was just sort of a random thing where he's like, oh, maybe I can make some jokes about <laughs> not enough ink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you can definitely tell his personality leaks into the strip. Sure. Uh. Last trip I wanted to cover, um, the dad, Roger, always takes him on a camping trip every summer for vacation, and it always ends poorly. Uh, they get rained on, there's, like, mosquitoes, there's nothing to do, they, like, lose their food, um, and everyone's miserable, including the dad, but he, like, is insisting, you know, like, we're having a good time, darn it. Yeah, And, uh, you know, maybe a lot of people listening in on this have been on a vacation or a day trip like that where really you just wanted to stay home and play video games or whatever uh, eat pizza play guitar whatever it happened to be you know because it was typically a guy's trip it was typically peter and jason and neither one of them wanted to be there you know yeah or you know maybe the more modern example now is like you don't have cell service and and can't send instagram memes to your friends from <laughs> tent but you know Either way, like, you're kind of stuck on this family vacation, and it's miserable, and everyone smells, and there's bugs. Yeah, absolutely. So, on December 5th in 2006, Foxtrot was converted into a Sunday-only strip. So, this was problematic uh, for the making of the strip, as Sunday strips have to be submitted almost a month in advance as opposed to the shorter deadlines for the daily strips that Amin was previously writing. Uh, so this meant that a lot of the pop culture and specifically current event commentary 
that Amin was running in the strip uh, was a little bit harder to do because you were having a month delay from the ride of the strip to the publish of the strip. So this meant like he really couldn't address like some on date stuff that like it really was more relevant if you talked about it you know within the week that it happened. So uh, a pretty good example of this is his Super Bowl strips. Because Super Bowl is always on Sunday. So what he would have to do is, like, the actual strip that would run on Super Bowl day would be, uh, maybe it would be the characters, like, talking about different teams or whatever. Like, he couldn't uh, he couldn't really talk about the results or really leading up to the game. Yeah. Uh, and then the Monday strip afterward, they would be like, oh, man, can you believe that game? And, and then he, or, you know, later in the week, he could talk about it. Yeah. I think specifically in the Super Bowl, I think he avoided you know really talking about a lot of content. It was always a joke like uh, you know Peter and Roger were eating and drinking everything out of massive size bowls or whatever. Sure. They didn't really hit on that actual content because it was hard for him to do it. Yeah, it was it was more making fun of like or just having making a joke about like the prep for a Super Bowl or or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and, and so this... oh, go ahead. Uh, this is a really big deal for me, I guess, when it went to Sunday only. Because I, I would say there was there was really only a two- or three-year period where I, like, actively read newspaper comics. Because I don't have a newspaper subscription on my own. Right. I don't know if Mom and Dad even do anymore. I, I, don't, uh, I don't think we have one anymore. Ma- maybe they just get the Sunday paper. It seems like they were doing that for a while. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think we even do that anymore. Uh, which, you know, makes sense. Uh, it's all online anyway, but... Like I was, I was actively reading comics at this time, and Foxtrot was my favorite of like the currently running. Absolutely. Nothing else even came. Like Pearls Before Swine was pretty good. It was fun. Uh, and then after that, like the rest of them were basically just garbage, in my opinion. Yeah. So yeah. all of a sudden, Foxtrot was once a week, and it was like, man, like uh, maybe I don't want to read yeah, this. Definitely. Anymore. It, it it absolutely contributed to me being less excited about about comics. Uh, there were really only a couple strips that I looked forward to reading, and and with them no longer being, you know, daily, it was kind of like, eh. So uh, this this changeover from week, uh, sorry, a daily strip to Sunday only strip, uh, was followed by a series of fourth wall breaking, a bunch of strips where the characters uh, all discussed a cartoonist semi-retiring to Sundays only. Uh, and everything that he'd have to do in order to phase out those daily strips. Um, so Amend, uh, he, he's a cartoonist. He loves it. Uh, he, he's fairly active, uh, you know, in that industry. So he also guest writes for PvP, uh, Penny Arcade, and XKCD. Um, comics that he enjoys uh, and likes the writers and, and has talked about, uh, thinking are really great comics. Um, so this change to Sunday only, uh, kind of hitting on that nerdy side of amend, uh, has been attributed jokingly, uh, to being allow, uh, allowing amend to spend more time, uh, playing World of Warcraft and less time writing comics. Uh, he, he, he's done interviews with like World of Warcraft fan sites. He is seriously, seriously into World of Warcraft. Uh, he has said the server that he plays on. Uh, which, if I play it, I would, you know, might think more of. It was like Bronzebeard or something like that. Uh, but hasn't given any other information other than that. Uh, but the the joke is a joke, but maybe not quite a joke, uh, because he's talked about how, you know, w- when we mentioned him turning in strips super late and stuff, he's talked about how some of that might have been due to him being in a rabbit hole on World of Warcraft or, you know, whatever. Uh, Amend has been on panels and attend uh, PAX and Comic-Con, um, so definitely really hitting on more of that nerdy stuff. Um, but a- as Seth was talking about earlier, kind of how the comics started falling off, uh, it went to Sunday only, we kind of stopped reading. Um, so as newspaper comic strips have, have really become less popular, and newspapers in general as not, a lot of people get newspapers anymore, and if they do, they're online. Uh, Amin was able to pivot, you know, uh, he, he started, uh, Foxtrot.com in 1996, um, but he didn't have ownership of the site, uh, due to his contract, uh, which he jokingly calls a rookie contract because it was garbage. Uh, so when this contract with the syndicate expired, uh, he was able to take ownership of the site, uh, really revitalize it, 
make it interesting, make it fun, and be able to turn Foxtrot into a webcomic, uh, which are way more popular nowadays and much more successful. And I think maybe this is sort of uh, a lesson, you know, or the advantage of being kind of nerdy and into technology and stuff. When media changes, you're way more likely to be able to stay up with it and be knowledgeable about these changes. Um, I'd be willing to bet, you know, the comic executives at the syndicate who signed them onto this contract were not prepared to make a interesting and engaging web comic web page. Uh, but you know, this guy who's knowledgeable enough to make jokes about, uh, programming computer scripts and that kind of thing would obviously be a little more on top of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And he, he definitely talks about that, how, how his knowledge, uh, his knowledge base was it allowed him. He just like learned HTML in like a day and started going after it and, and making his site really awesome. And I think uh, definitely his friends with PVP, Penny Arcade, and XKCD, which are sure. web comics, uh, him having them and having some of their knowledge and, and being able to write and experience a lot of stuff that they do really allowed him to make Foxtrot a good web comic and you know really keep it being successful. And this is pretty cool for me when I figured out that it was, like, all online. Yeah. Because uh, now I have, like, this backlog of uh, Foxtrot comics I can click through. Yeah, just this awesome nostalgia trip of, of funness that you can go through, you know, whenever you want. Sure. So uh, there is kind of a little nugget that, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, so there is there's a little bit of heat between uh, Bill Amend and Stephen Pastis. Pastis, I don't know how you say it. That's how I say it. I guess it would be Pastis or maybe like Pastis or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. Who was the creator of Pearls Before Swine. Um, so in one of his strip, kind of hitting on that, living in the real world, uh, you know, kind of current event type things, Bill Mint uh, fired a shot at, at Steven, um, which really, if you if you kind of think about it and look at it, it's pretty much seen just kind of as him promoting uh, a new Foxtrot book that he was releasing, but happened to also, you know, really, really poke fun at, uh, at Pearls before uh, Swine, while also kind of uh, giving, giving some, some props to some of his friends in the in the comic industry. Uh, so it starts with Jason saying, uh, good news Paige, our favorite comic strip uh, has a new book coming out. And Paige starts listing uh, a bunch of random comics. Uh, and she doesn't guess it. And so Jason says, you know what? Forget I said anything. And Paige responds with, it can't be Pearls Before Swine because you said it. good news. Uh, so Amin basically just saying Pearls Before Swine is trash and all these other comics are really good. So... so- yeah. I mean, I kind of interpret this as like a, f- a friendly jab more than like him putting Pearls Before Swine on blast, but there's not like really any evidence to support one opinion over the other. Right, right. Um, but then about a year later, uh, Stephen Pastis responds. So in the newspaper, where Pearls Before Swine uh, is supposed to be, there's a Fox Track comic. Uh, and I, I kind of remember this. I, I don't know if I actually saw it in the newspaper or not, uh, but I kind of remember it around the time it happened, reading it and being like really confused that like, hey, this isn't a Pearls Before Swine comic. Um, and, and so basically it's uh, Stephen Passis just getting back. He is, he's using um, the characters and the art style uh, and literally the exact same comic uh, that Bill Mend put out uh, and changing the text. So he's really mocking Bill Amin, putting in, you know, the curse words that are in Pearls Before Swine, um, and then just making fun of the humor and kind of everything that he does with it. Uh, and he gets in a jab about uh, going to a Sunday-only strip to play World of Warcraft more. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. And then uh, in, in classic Pearls Before Swine fashion, ends it with a terrible forced pun. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Make, definitely making fun of Amend's style. Uh, and then Amend immediately follows up. So after the, the kind of year lapse from past this, Amend uh, comes right back. Uh, and we get into some more of the the fourth wall breaking here. Um, but uh, he, he pokes fun at past this himself. 
uh, kind of saying he's an idiot and a drunk. <laughs> so I really, I really would like to know, because like from the comics, like the criticism, like is is pretty good. It's like funny, and it could very easily be, like, you know, kind of friends poking fun at each other, like. Uh, they conspired together to kind of drum up some sensation around their comics. Because uh, the shots they take are, like, pretty on the mark. But, like, I wouldn't say they're tasteless. Like, they're, they're pretty well done. Yeah, yeah. It, it really uh, is hard to tell the intention behind it, you know? But it could absolutely be, like, oh, like, no, this guy's a moron. And this is just, like, a funny way of me presenting that viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, dude. I, I, it, it is, it's definitely hard to tell. Uh, Amend has said in an interview, uh, quote, he, he writes his strips about Pastis. Uh, he writes his strips using a Ouija board. The real author of Pearls Before Swine is a dead Civil War era seamstress named Lucianne Candy Fish. Apparently, Bill Keen's great, 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 great grandfather used to tease her in school. So all of the strips mockery of family circus is payback. Yeah, you, you see what I mean. I mean, this 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 sounds like a joke, uh, almost. Yeah, I mean, surely um, you think it has to be. There can't be, you know, like that much bad blood or you know whatever it is. Uh, well, if, if there was, uh, is that how you would describe like right. his writing style, or would you be like, oh, he he just gets drunk and like writes? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is this is again like a joke. This is funny. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think there's some mutual respect there, or at least, you know, I like to think so. Sure. So, uh, I guess that, that is our episode on Foxtrot. We really appreciate you guys listening, uh, and, and thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thanks so much. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to our episode about Foxtrot, uh, and please check us out on our Facebook and our Twitter, at PlayerOneBias. As always, we'd love to hear from you guys. Let us know your favorite Foxtrot strip or favorite comic strip in general. Be f- uh, feel free to call us out on any mistakes we made. And, of course, let us know what topics you'd like to see us cover next. And thanks so much for listening, guys. Really appreciate it.